A modest house, a picket fence, a couple kids, some common sense, a job to pay your mortgage or your rent. And all these goals are understood, but misery is a public good, so come and feed your sorrows till you're spent. Well, just to come, Captain said, the icebergs are the dead ahead, the men will keep the engines fed, I have a deal with God. We're at the end of history, there ain't a hope for you or me, when workers philanthropically believe in the economy. But what a feast for tired eyes, the poison earth, the boiling skies, and everyone their own damn spies, remember when the world was wise, we know. Wish you a Merry Christmas. Mm. Come on, Karen. You're the singer. We wish you a Merry Christmas. <coughs> we wish you, you a Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas and we a happy. I'm not doing the whole year. song because I don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. Good tidings we bring for you and your kin. I think that's enough. It's kin, by the way, not king. Yeah. Jesus was not a monarchist, despite his frequent references to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, he, king of the Jews, although that was that was really less more his of thing a then. <laughs> Pontius Pilate's kind of call on that one, yeah. Herod was the king of the Jews. I think Jesus accepted that. Yeah. Um, he disappeared very quickly from the narrative, though, didn't he? Poor old Herod. Poor old Herod. After Whatever being happened wrongly to him? accused of doing the, the greatest act of infanticide in human history. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a tedious 700-page quasi-historical novel in that. Is there? I'm sure. Oh, like, you mean that we could do one? Yeah, yeah, for sure we could. Sell like a middling amount of copies, get no <laughs> reputation whatsoever in the literary scene. Depending on how we pitch it, we could end up writing a script for Pure Flicks for David A.R. Oh, White to yeah. develop. <laughs> if we went really like, if we gave him a hooked nose and a hunchback and made him rub his hands together and stuff. Just be like, he's just an evil man. That's just three random physical attributes that we... I will say one thing for David A.R. White, and only one thing, is I've never seen him cast an actual happy merchant caricature as a Jewish person, although he does have a very ignorant and bigoted take on Judaism. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he loves films about rescuing Jews from themselves. I bet, yeah. That's the favourite, the condescending conversion tale is the favourite of the modern American Christian filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing like false friendship. Mm. Um, so today, listeners, as, as you probably heard from from our great singing at the start, yeah, and also from the timing of the episode, our Christmas special. Yeah. So we're not feeling very uh, weakness for bleakness today. We're feeling very happy and mm. filled with mirth and Ding merriment. Dong merrily on high. I got some books for Christmas. Did you get some books, Kieran? Uh, yeah, I got a book. Uh. From mum, it's called like the 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 dictionary of lost books and I'm uh, lost words and I'm very very much looking forward to it. Is it by David Crystal? No, no. So this is becoming quite a popular thing then. It's, it's, it sounds like there's a few people that are putting out these. I have had I I've received things. I've received that book or something much like it from mum and I enjoyed it. Uh, this is a novel about uh, oh okay about uh, words that have gone missing from the dictionary and like taking I guess that the is a idea very different. Of- yeah. Thing to what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it'll be good. I got a- Yeah. So, I got a book. Excellent. I got some books. I got I got a, a really nice bottle of wine from one of my stepsisters. Nice. And from the other stepsister, I got a lovely little batch of preserves from her local shop for local people. That's nice. Um, in in, in uh, Station Street, I'm fairly sure. Mm-hmm. 
which is delicious. It went very well with my Christmas croissant. Excellent. I got a, uh, my sister, we do a KK thing because my family is too fucking gigantic for us to all get each other gifts. Uh, it's, it's, it's hell just catering for the nieces and nephews. So we have a under 18, you get gifts over 18, you get it pulled into the KK system as sort of means testing <clears throat> for gifts. Yep. <laughs> uh, and my sister, uh, had me for KK this year and she got me, uh, she put together like a, a Sunday station. So she got me a liter of nice ice cream and then a box with like bowls and an ice cream scoop and a bunch of fixins and some homemade sauces and stuff. Ah, that's excellent. It's, it's, I was it, I, like, yeah, out of nowhere. I've not seen that. I mean, I've seen hampery sort of gifts before, but very, very canny, very well done. I like it. I like very it. Good. I obviously don't need more sugar in my life just to look at me, but I'll take it. You're looking it. a lot better, Karen. I'm, I'm not Listeners, gonna... you'll be pleased to hear Kieran is looking much better. I think that's a lie, but I appreciate it's that not you a would lie, lie on You haven't honor. noticed. It's like the frog in cooling water for you. Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> Already dead, but <laughs> no longer boiling. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was a good Christmas. Excellent. My worst Christmas present was fortunately one I got for myself, not, not from mm. another person, which was Cyberpunk 27. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How's that going? I haven't played it since we last spoke. Unfortunately, mm. it's just not a very good game. It's mm-hmm. it's it's um, a role playing. It's like a science fiction future role playing game has to be better than Fallout New Vegas. I think. I think Fallout New yep. Vegas set the the basic. That's yeah. the benchmark for that. And the people who did The Witcher should have done much better than Fallout yeah. Three. They they gave us the game before Fallout New Vegas, basically. Yeah, <laughs> it was shite. It's very um, Technicolor, boring crap. Yeah, very disappointed. Fallout New Vegas is old as well at this point, so you would expect there to be another contender on the way, which I guess was supposed to. It be was supposed to be Cyberpunk yeah. Twenty Seven. Yeah, and it wasn't at all. It was worse than I think any of the other games CG Project Red has made. Yeah, interesting. Um, I watched Mad Max Fury Road last night after getting home from my family's. I had I that nice little that film. Alone the first time period. I watched Mad Max Fury Road, I didn't like it. I thought it was boring and stupid. But the second and third times, yep. I saw it. I love it more and more each time Absol- I see it. Absolutely the same. The first, I didn't, I didn't dislike it, but I was like, all right, that's okay. And then yeah, uh, this was my third time watching it, and it's a fucking cracker. It's it really such is, a good movie. It? And yeah, what I want is a good game set in that universe i know that the mad max game is supposed to be very good it's not very good it's almost very good there's yeah it's it's a game that is ruined by a shit ending right okay and it's like story based right rather yeah than- which is why it's ruined by a shit ending. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so important if you're doing a story a narrative game to have a satisfying conclusion as yeah. opposed to just <clears throat> well done you finished the game here's a two minute bad cutscene and credits for yeah. half an hour just give me an give me an open world game with just George Miller calling the shots because nobody can do compact world building like that fucking man. You get like maybe less than five minutes of screen time with uh, the bullet farm guy and the gas town guy, and they're such fully fucking realized characters. Yes, the bullet town guy is basically just like 
this is a lot of effort for your thing that I'm not interested in. He says that. And then he has a big monologue where he's like, I am the conductor of the choir of death. Sing. <laughs> While he's shooting uh, semi- uh, submachine guns into the darkness. I would have and loved like- more of him. He was fabulous. But he also, we got yeah. exactly the right amount. Yeah, of him. exactly the right and amount. watching John Howard just like wander around with a lumpy foot playing with his nipples. Was yeah, yeah. Far I'd more entertaining than nipples. I would have thought if you'd described it to me. Yeah. <laughs> And just protect the assets. You give them one character trait, you hit it, and you let the rest of the fucking thing fill itself out. It makes you upset when you think about all the wonderful actors that we have floating around Australia. Yeah. And how many films we make that are just Nicole Kidman looking out of a window for two and a half hours. How many roles has fucking John Howard had where he's either had to be just a straight-laced middle-aged dude or a cop? Yeah, just always slightly grumpy, slightly frumpy. Yeah, never allowed to express his range. At yeah. All. yeah, delivering common sense monologues to <laughs> to people, being like, "You've just got to see how things really are," and then you give him a fucking a business shirt with the nipples cut out and nipple rings and chains and gouty feet, and he just fucking comes alive. I want him to be the next Baron Harkonnen. Oh yeah, he would fucking slay Baron Harkonnen. <laughs> Oh, it would, it would be, be incredible. Fabulous. Who is Stig Larsson? No, wait, what's, is it Stig Larsson? No, that's the author. Uh, what's his fucking name? Skarsgård. Stellan Skarsgård. Which Skarsgård? There, there are several Skarsgårds. Yeah, I think Stellan is the one that's doing okay. Harkonnen. There's Alexander and there's- Well, like a Nordic actor is who Frank Herbert seems to have cast the Harkonnen family as like Nordo-Slavic kind yeah. of people. Kind of. Yeah. Tending more towards Slavic, I think, because Frank was very influenced by contemporary politics when he was writing June. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a <laughs> very, very accommodating way of putting it. Yeah. My main problem with the Russians is that they're a bit kinky. <laughs> <laughs> nice take, Frank. Uh, th- that series of books needs more scrutiny. It, um, I think a lot of people are okay with how extremely weird and fascist June gets as it goes along. But wasn't the whole thing supposed to be, like, Leto is never supposed to be... I don't know, because it's kind of trying to have it both ways. Because he's supposed to be a monster. Like, Frank Herbert has said, like, the whole thing is supposed to be about how dangerous the Messiah tale can be. And that Paul is, like, exploiting this messiah. Um, yes, that's how it begins. And it's really brilliant. The <clears> first, <throat> so, June, the first book, is really brilliant. Yeah. Um, June Messiah, which is the second book that often gets forgotten about, is as good as the first book. Because it yeah. is about how Paul loses, completely loses control of these religious zealots. Yeah. Uh, Children of June is where his son, Leto, steps in to do what Paul wasn't brave enough to do. And then God Emperor of June is maybe the most famous one after the first book. Yeah, and the then big worm. like from that point on, it just becomes an extremely hard to navigate list mm. of sexual neuroses <laughs> that Frank Herbert has accumulated over. And he also justifies this is the thing is that he justifies Leto's fascism with mm. the fact that it's all that does save humanity from yeah, the end of world yeah, threat the at the only, end of the galaxy. So the it's only like, way to get through, yeah. You can't have it both ways. You're quite right. Yeah, it's a little... And, you know, this is... By the way, if you haven't finished reading June and you want to finish reading June, uh, skip ahead 15 seconds. But it's not surprising when Duncan Idaho turns out to be the fucking Queezer Sadarach because he's the only character who's in every single fucking book. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I didn't know that he ended up being Bad a Christmas storytelling. Hatterack, but yeah, Duncan Idaho coming back again and again is one of those like that should be a red flag early on. Yeah. Oh, it's his his clone is back. <laughs> Why is this He's extremely boring man so incredibly important? Yeah. We have all these wonderful off the wall characters in June, and it always yeah. centers around this they- extremely plodding. T- and the first thought I had was, well, Duncan's supposed to provide continuity, but he doesn't. So no. that doesn't. He's Makes not even, sense. yeah, he doesn't even have continuity. No, of, he doesn't. Of body. He's a completely different, boring person yeah. every time. <laughs> and he has, like, he has amnesia some of the time, I think, right? And yeah, sometimes isn't one, in his one book, clone isn't is a... made by different people, and sometimes yeah. they have different agendas with it. So sometimes he's a secret assassin, sometimes he's a loyal servant, some, there's all yeah. sorts of weird stuff. Sometimes in the third book, he has a completely different personality. Yeah. Perhaps the greatest- and name, he's called Hate. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, Hate. Fucking hell. Um, but <laughs> perhaps his greatest sin is name related because, like, all of the names and, and like, uh, societies and factions and stuff have such a good- Like, they sit in such a good sci-fi name pocket. Mm. Like, uh, Paul is a bit silly, but it's Paul Atreides and Leto Atreides and the Bene Gesserit and the Tleilaxu and shit. And uh, Fade Rotha and Raban Harkonnen. How cool. And then Duncan, Duncan Idaho. Idaho. Yeah. yeah. I know. It's fucking pretty silly special, as hell. Stilgar the Fremen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Duncan Idaho. It's true. There's a lot of... <laughs> also, the, the planet of Jews was an unnecessary slap in the face. As well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> an entire planet of whiny New York Jews. <laughs> Why? <laughs> what was the point of that? As with so many mid-20th century <laughs> fantasy and sci-fi uh, properties, not racial even, politics is not, not even secret Jews. Actual, proper, real Jews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not Jewish-coded, actual ones. Yeah, very odd. Anyway, probably- th- I think we could do another show where we discuss Dune, because yeah. there's a lot of Dune. Well, I recently bought another copy as a backup, because I wasn't sure what book I was going to give one of my nephews as a gift, and Dune was one of the backups, and I didn't end up giving him that. They're <clears> a <throat> delight up. to read. Like, I, I don't want to make it so I don't- I, I do like the series. I'm a yeah. big fan of Dune. It's just, I it just love- gets away with a lot. <laughs> yeah. I love the first book. I've only read the, the second and the third once, and I haven't read beyond that. I think, right. So, um, so yeah, well, when you get to God Emperor- You'll find it's. I don't know if like Frank McLean started to read Nietzsche or something, but it's very like Elzo Sprach Zarathustra. Yeah, yeah, runs very heavily through it. But if Zarathustra was a self-justifying Nazi, yeah, yeah, instead of a dude who was just like, leave me alone all the time. I want to <laughs> yeah. go back to my fucking mountain with my snake and my hawk. But I won't. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I have more tumblers and fucking jugglers to see and make abstruse <laughs> moral lessons about. The self-appointed chosen one. Um, yeah. yeah. I guess that's a good parallel to the God Emperor, actually. Yeah. But we are here not to not to make war on June, but to, to make peace uh, with the news. We're going to start. We've got a, a, a small story about how the Labour Party are winning over the countryside mm. as part of their master plan to keep the coalition out of office. Or should we play the topics music? Yeah, we're going to play the topics music, and then we're going to do our topics yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the the Labour Party. Should we just do that, or do you want to give a little to, what's to come summary? Well, and then Kieran and I are going to we're going to get sensitive and personal mm. and discuss how it is that we came. Being as how this is, of course, the celebration of Jesus. 
the mm. Naz. Yeah. Um, we're going to discuss how we came to have our current views of him and our current views of faith, mm-hmm. and who we are as religious entities. Yeah. A little bit of- uh, and, and political entities and things. A little bit of- fun. Like that old show Crossfire. This Tucker is the Carlson and the other one. Where Christopher Hitchens was on with- um, No, that's Line of Fire. Line of which Fire. Which was Hitchens and that fucking mad loon. What was his- I don't remember. Yes, you do. He, he debated Gore Vidal once, and he also threatened to punch Noam Chomsky in the face. I don't know. Buckley, William F. Buckley. Oh, William F. Buckley. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right, all right, of course. It all clicks into place. Yeah. <clears throat> Stop calling me a Nazi, goddammit, or I'll suck you <laughs> in the jar and you'll stay plastered. <laughs> William B. Buckley. With he is remembered as a, a golden age of when conservative America had, like, a genteel and well-spoken A total fucking like- lunatic with a rape yacht. <laughs> And George would just insult and threaten people. Yeah. Yeah. That's how bad it's gotten. Fucking hell. He was the he was the time when they were moderate in their views and yeah. practices. Yeah, right, good. We can all look back to the golden age of William F. Buckley. Um no, Crossfire was the one where they would have uh like a right winger who was Tucker Carlson before he became quite so sinister and he was just a like risible idiot in a bow tie. Yes. And uh and some Center liberal when he was a little bit more age appropriate for those weird private school boy clothes he wears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, that's the one where John Stewart went on and just taught, like you know, I remember this. Taught yeah. them a new asshole. This was, like, this was I'm a comedian. I shouldn't be the one with the more nuanced take than you, fucking idiots. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Back when uh, <laughs> we're gonna self crossfire. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do crossfire. Only it's. Uh, Two non-religious people <laughs> agreeing with each other. <laughs> agreeing with each other. Just we came from. Why do you directions. listen to this disgusting self-gratification orgy, listener? Why? What's wrong? It's with a you? good question. Get out of the house. But I appreciate. Go it. and meet someone. Yeah. Um, Play the topics music. Daniel Andrews does trains good. He does. Part of the Andrews government. You may not have heard about this if you live in the city of Melbourne, because. Mm. Um, the journalists who also live in the city of Melbourne have no fucking interest in anything that doesn't happen in Carlton or Washington. But (laughs) part of Andrew's plan for Victoria has been a revamp of the rural rail network as well as the urban rail network. Mm -hmm. Which, like the the, uh, urban rail network, is very overdue. A huge amount of work needs to be done uh, on the rural rails. And the work that Daniel Andrews has chosen to do mm-hmm. is to replace the tracks with a uniform gauge track. That was the business plan that was taken to the feds when they we asked for the federal kick-in cash. Yeah. So uniform rail gauge for all of Victoria, new systems, no new actual train lines, unfortunately, which I feel was more pressing. Um, yeah, could have used some. Could have used some, and as it turns out, could have afforded to build them because we've had to do the project twice. <laughs> yeah, because this is becoming something of a theme with Australian infrastructure projects. A little bit of a theme, isn't it? Yeah, uh, we have one good idea and decide to make it go for twice as long as we should. Yeah, uh, the the government tore up the tracks. They revamped the bed that the track sits on and they put down the exact same tracks so it was of no benefit to anybody although it does now look like it's had work done yeah 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's got to be the principal thing, right? It's, yeah, like, it's the guess. equivalent equivalent of moving the couch away from the wall and vacuuming and then putting the couch back. And, like, country people are not stupid, <clears throat> despite yeah. what various people in this uh, community may like to think. One could say they that many of the problems of political have- tension between rural and urban centres is because of the underestimation of the intelligence of rural people. The assumption people. that rural people are thick yeah. because they uh, have rural accents, I guess. <laughs> yeah, which in the, like we do have a much they more diverse. They vote for the only politicians accent. who at least pretend to give a fuck about. What's yeah, that's all it takes <laughs> is for somebody to just be like, "I care about my constituency in the rural areas, and that's why I want to fucking siphon their water away." The Labour candidate that doesn't little- even know like which fucking town or city is the local, you know, centre of government. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fucking bizarre. It is exceptionally bizarre. And uh, so, yeah, they've noticed this and they're not happy because mm. their trains are going to be disrupted again. Trains mm. are really fucking important in the country because yeah. sometimes you have to get places that are hours away mm-hmm. and you can't always just constantly be fucking driving everywhere. Yeah. It's very important to have a train service. I mean, absolutely. We should have- Not everyone can drive. Not everybody can drive. And we should just generally be relying more on rail. Yeah, we like, should. Like fucking- Countries where it doesn't suck ass to get from one major centre to another. Because a big part of this plan was not just for human commuters, but it was for freight, right? Because Australia decided in a moment of fucking galaxy-brained national planning that Mm. roads would be better than rails for freight. And I'm sure there was absolutely no lobbying or interference being done by anybody. That sounds like a natural conclusion. It was just that- we completely and understandably misread all of the data and were yeah. like, yes, definitely trucks. And I mean, trains. honestly, we're being glib, but that is a possibility that we, we have <laughs> uh, history with doing that with agriculture and with uh, a lot of sort wait, of. Wait, there were people stuff. here. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, my God. Now I feel bad. The number oh, of- we've committed some kind of like human rights abuse on a. <clears throat> fucking continental scale. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Nuts. If only we weren't completely stupid. Yeah. I would have loved to just be in the room at some of those, like, big, like, uh, farming industry meetings that they must have had when all of the wheat started to die. With just the fucking eggheads being like, I don't understand. These numbers work for a completely different ecosystem on the other side of the country, uh, the other side of the globe in a different fucking hemisphere. Why isn't it working here? And just waiting to see if anybody put up their hand and was just like, uh, yeah, the, the indigenous people did tell us that this wouldn't work. <laughs> oh, and, and also like some engineers, some of our, 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 our colonial engineers also <clears throat> told us that it wouldn't work. Yeah. But they were not offering kickbacks, presumably. Yeah. You got to assume that it's kickbacks or like the weird national religiosity that was so big. Well, cars are freedom and rails are communist. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Rails are communist. The USSR, like, didn't own its own car production company or anything. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> and the famous communist Adolf Hitler made the trains run on time, as they say, although yeah. that's actually- It's not co- true, is that's it? That's also it the Mussolini thing. Mussolini, uh, the and, other it was, famous and it was communist. a train. It was one of the trains- that was his train. <laughs> he oh, made really? his train run on time once. <laughs> yeah. The idea that, like, <laughs> threatening to murder a timetable coordinator if they 
trains aren't on time would mm. make them somehow be more efficient is insane to me. I don't understand how anybody yeah. could think fascists are not more organized than other people. <laughs> no. Fascists are very good at like being, you know, militaristically impressive visually, but that does not mm. mean that you can organize things logistically. Well, and dumping a bunch of resources into military production because they don't care what the impacts on the rest of the country are or like the long-term things or whatever. Of course, yeah, sure. But that doesn't, yeah. Literally organization. no way to guarantee timely trains. Even yeah. if it was all done with no drivers <clears> and just a centralized supercomputer, there would still be late trains. Yeah. You can't yeah. have... Well, I mean, Japan has a pretty close to perfect and oh, for sure but it's still not it's not perfect yeah there are still delays it's inevitable it's of course it is everybody knows that as well that the real communist method of transportation is to break all swimming speed records down the yangtze river that's <laughs> that's actually how communists get around you'll notice a classic piece of uh weakness for bleakness miscommunication here listener i was referring to the publicity stunt that a slightly older mao did where he swam in the yangtze and also kind of getting it mixed up with uh, some of the propaganda around Kim Il-sung and his riding on a tiger across Korea, etc. And uh, Darcy mistook it for a reference to the drugged-up Olympic swimmer, uh, which he's about to talk about. So that's what's going on there. Oh, he, he, he's, been, um, he's been given a reprieve, did you hear? Oh. Was it... Um, oh, I forgot the, the name of the, the China's sw great swimming champion, who was the first Chinese Olympic swimmer to win an Olympic medal. Yeah. And our, our bloke wouldn't stand on the podium with him because he was like, no, he's a cheating, drug-cheating, drug-cheater. Yeah. And then the court said, yeah, you are. You can't be a swimmer anymore. Well, yeah, he's appealed that's... it because he discovered that one of the presiding um, tr tribunes was like a massive anti-China racist. Yeah. <laughs> and the uh, the Swiss federal court have quietly overturned it and said, no, nah, you're going to have to give him a trial with somebody who's not a rabid anti-China racist. Yeah. So he's not been he's not been like discharged, as it were. It's just that the decision is invalid and it has to be done again. Yeah, they've decided to to give him actual an actual day in court and not yeah. just yeah, not just have an unqualified xenophobe <laughs> <laughs> jump at the chance to ban a Chinese person from doing something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he'll still be banned because he unequivocally used drugs that were prohibited. It would just be nice to have these things, yeah, impartially properly, decided yeah. rather than... Imagine the, of... the degree to which people allow politics, like national politics. Obviously, everything is political, but the degree to which national politics is a big part of sport is so tediously depressing. I know. Because no one fucking cares. Yeah. It's, it, no one gives a shit. It blows my mind. Every, every time, or like, I love talking to Stu about his days of being a Celtics fan in fucking... <laughs> edinburgh or whatever and just being like the fucking the insane level of law that you have to come to grips with to understand the oh celtics rangers situation the and even in australia they're not allowed in the same pubs when there's a game on yeah because they have songs about how cool it is when each other dies in like industrial disasters yeah like, and it's they mean it level. it's yeah, not like yeah. richmond and collingwood fans having a go at each other for no. who's the scruffiest oh bunch of folk, you know <laughs> the club that everybody loves to hate collingwood no it's like i'm gonna fucking kill them if i see one of them on the wrong day it's northern a... ireland but for football it's crazy yeah, it's it's truly wild
In fact, I suspect that the Protestant and Catholic football teams in Northern Ireland do hate each other less. Than I think Rangers so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know of any rivalry that's as hectic as the fucking. One of the re- Stuart told me. I don't, know, I don't know how she meant this, because we were both on the lash at the time, but yeah. he, he told me one of the reasons he got out of Scotland was because the two biggest mm. and bruisiest football clubs had like the Irish tricolour and the Union Jack as their iconography, and neither of them were actually Scottish identitarian teams at all. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> this feels dumb now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like we're being used as a medium for someone else's fight, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that could be. There could be something to that, hey. It's like, <laughs> I love the idea that there's, like, uh, an old, like, CIA propaganda uh, in South America-style operation going, but it's just the crown using the two football teams to destabilise Scotland for some reason. The Tories do seem weirdly keen on destabilising Scotland. I don't- Yeah. Labour has the whole kind of, like, malignant neglect thing going on, but the Tories do seem quite keen on actively fucking the Scots off as much as possible. Yeah. Well, maybe because if you they can They haven't forgiven them, them for, for Bonnie Prince Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know there's a Tory MP who's secretly still very angry about Culloden. <laughs> oh, 100%. I reckon, like, probably- 25% of them still just would, like, if you got them on the brandy in the sitting room on, on Boxing Day. Well, uh, they're a nation of traitors. They're a natural fifth column. Mm. They're men wear skirts. Have I shown you my drawings? Not like my skirts. Big- my skirts are secret shame. They wear them in public. <laughs> yeah. Pulls out a big leather-bound volume of, like, <laughs> racist uh, phrenology <laughs> illustrations <laughs> depicting This is Scott- the difference between the Saxon and the Celtic skull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. See? See how much he looks like an ape? Bone all the way through. You can't kill them. <laughs> the only thing is to get them to leave. <laughs> they have udders. They have udders, don't you know? Not human. It's not bagpipes or a complete myth. He's just pulled his breasts out and started squirting them everywhere. <laughs> Terrible people. All right, if mental note to- people at all. This was supposed to be the trains. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mental note to revisit that character, though, because I like him a lot. Absolutely. we got to find some more shit for that dude to do. <laughs> I'm sorry, James Mason, by the way. <laughs> I don't know what your politics were, but I'm sure they weren't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you are responsible for romanticizing Humbert Humbert in Lolita. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I started to slip into uh, the the guy from Atlanta. The episode. Have you seen Atlanta? I haven't seen Atlanta. There's a there's an episode in the second season where Lakeith Stanfield's character goes to this mansion uh, where this guy who's kind of like a Michael Jackson analog lives, and he's like made himself white uh, and like a, a piano player, and he's like madder than a shit house rat. And he talks like this. Yes, it's good to play the piano, isn't it? Hmm. Quite soulful. My father used to beat me. He only wanted the best. That uh, it was it's like almost a mighty Bosch character. 
level, which really <laughs> works that in was, the show. That was that was veering from Mason into Fielding, which is a fine line at times. Yeah, well, I think that this character from Atlanta, I can't remember the character's name, but I think he exists right on that line between Mason and Fielding. The Mason Fielding line. Oh, that's a good coinage. I like mm. that. The Mason Fielding line. That'll yeah. definitely be mentioned again. <laughs> yeah, cool. So we're keeping notes on all of these great characters. And You've got a pad in front of you. Go on. Um, I'm not actually going to write it down. <laughs> so you don't need to. It's tattooed into my brain tank. <laughs> uh, so the trains. Yeah. So essentially what we have, I, I, I know that there was a coronavirus and that the premier is not necessarily personally responsible for this. And even if he was, yes, he could have got a bit distracted with the international pandemic. But it's very depressing and frustrating for me the way that the Labour Party in every single state and territory of this country, with the possible exception of Western Australia, mm. continuously, and that's only because Western Australia doesn't really have an urban community, let's be honest. Perth is the size of a rubber stamp. Yeah. Just fucking fail the country side almost deliberately. Yeah. It's not like Labour Party in the UK with its malignant neglect of Scotland. This is almost like Tory level, just... Fuck with the provinces. It's completely baffling. Because it. all of the coalition people suck. They're terrible. They're awful MPs. Yeah. The Labour Party should be able to beat them easily. A hundred percent. And it's it's one of those things where, yeah, I don't know, that fucking position that I hate where it's like, would much rather Labour take everything away from the LNP for the LNP to go fucking completely gone and then for a new left contender to rise it shouldn't up. be that hard obviously that's the thing but like uh so in the fight between the coalition and labor i'm pro labor and pro dan andrews obviously. nominally on, on a two-party preferred basis. oh i'm massively pro labor when it's just the two-party preferred yeah. thing but dan andrews is absolutely fucking <laughs> yeah Dan Andrews is almost everything that his fucking critics say he is. And, like, sneering, uh, and self-impressed. He's from yeah, but it's he's just- a, he's, a, he's, he's a, a Wangaratan, like, oh. Wangaratonian, old Wangamite. I don't know what you call people from Wangarata. <laughs> I just like as Wangamite. Bad. He's a Wangamite, and he's <laughs> blowing this more than- Yeah. Fucking- Who was that shit? Brumby. He's blowing yeah, it more yeah. than Brumby, because at least Brumby built a fucking- Got some jobs happening in one thaggy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got some jobs happening in one thaggy. Had a cool name. Completely refused to, like, extend the desalination plant to anything beyond Melbourne, which was both, I think, wicked and stupid. Yeah, well, where we need it least, really. Melbourne is really the agricultural centre of Victoria. Yeah. If it wasn't for us, who would feed the farmers? Yeah. <laughs> if it weren't for the handful of small-scale permaculture outfits in the northern suburbs, what would we possibly do for food? Um, and I love those fucking urban hippies. I love them to bits, but- Who doesn't? We need- Yeah. Apart it, from their neighbours, presumably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, it fucking blows my mind. Yeah, that- the, yeah, Dan Andrews just commits every sin that he's accused of, in, except for, you know, being a communist yeah, was the pity. Except for the sins that would actually be Yeah, the, the yeah. cool things, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it doesn't surprise me that he, he fucks these things up, because if something exists outside of his uh, sphere of interest, he's extremely condescending about it. Just see his Jabwarong response. Yep. 
<sighs> which we won't get into again because we're going to have to follow up on it later. And we yes, we're <laughs> waiting for details to emerge from yeah. the current inquiry, mm. which will be, I'm sure, completely on the level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as, as as these things inevitably are, it'll be satisfactory. But this to is everybody. not just a, a, a Daniel Andrews fuck up this is like an in- i'm convinced no, true. this is an endemic labor party issue yeah of, yeah 100 percent. i don't think that they believe that they can win the country side apart from occasional no. protest like backlashes where you know the incumbent national or liberal fucks up so badly that labor get a term yeah yeah but it's, they genuinely don't seem to have any kind of chutzpah for it no they have this system of like orthodoxy that is just immune from external data and it has truths like uh, never go too far left federally or Murdoch will wedge you. And it's like the only time that they've won in the last when fucking three decades when you went platform, uh, went left and yeah. that turned out to be what it turned out to be. But that's what it was. And, and when you're progressive and you, like, make it about important issues that need addressing, not fucking franking credits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and the uh, one of the other bullet points of this orthodoxy seems to be uh, our outline as far out as we can go uh, and, call like, confidently fight for is, like, working class outer suburbs, but anything further than that. And it's like, no, 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 the Nats will take it. Yeah. And so when they do have a seat like the Hunter Valley, they fucking show their ass and just let Joel Fitzgibbon completely fucking Joel fuck Fitzgibbon can just lose his seat. I don't care. Yeah. 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 I, he's he's, this point, he's party political poison. He needs to fucking go. Yeah. Yeah. As <laughs> as an MP, he is more of a material threat to Australian politics. We need than to be in these communities explaining thing. things. You're their fucking MP, Joel. Yeah. Go and do it, you useless cunt. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. I'm not going to throw the entire country out on its ass because you're afraid of a thousand of your constituents. Yeah. But he would go to that town, ta- he would go to those thousand constituents and be like, do you people want to lose 50,000 jobs among you? And they would be like, uh, they're, because, you know. They don't want to lose these overstated. jobs. <laughs> yeah. There are a thousand of us. We have a thousand jobs to lose. 40 of us work in mining. No. Well, the thing is, it's not ending mining. It's it's yeah, ending yeah. thermal coal. Yeah, exactly. There are lots of other mines that- Tons of other mines. That have, like, environmental impact issues, but are also essential, and nobody disputes that they're that's, essential. That's another <laughs> baffling thing that Labor just- and Orthodoxy pro- prohibits them from doing. They're if, like, we can't pivot from coal. If you had a, like, mines rehabilitation and environmental impact reduction workforce, mm. that would so far and away make up for any job losses. Yeah. It would be a huge... Because it is a fucking massive amount of work. It's a huge job. <laughs> and mines are getting more and more automated anyway. They so, are. They're a terrible source of employment. Yeah. So even though there are still mines which employ... Some people, uh, some number of people or whatever, that as those get replaced by automated minds, yeah. Also, to, to, to the nationalist faction of our listeners, which I, I'm sure, I hope we get hate. Yeah. Hate hearers. Uh, I'm sure we get lots one of or two people who start Mining engineers it. aren't born in Australia. They have to be flown in from the UK. Yeah. And from, like, Russia. How did we get to the... <laughs> 
how did we get here? I don't know. The myths, the myth making that this country engages in. What I it guess uses partly like since the colonial process started, mm. mining has been a major Australian industry. Yeah, sure. So it's not just that it's like ready cash. I think there is a sense of national destiny and identity for a lot of people. Yeah, sure, but. That's easy to- I don't like that, obviously, because national identity is not a good thing. No, (laughs) no. (laughs) But I can understand why people have pride in it. And I like, I know people who work in mines and who fucking uh, live in mining communities and whatever. Yeah. And like fair due to, not not in coal mining communities. The guy I'm thinking of is a, like, I think gold. But even lots of the coal is important. Like we need the coking coal. Sure. Because steel's very important. Sure. I get all of this shit, but it's just like- and I, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I know that I'm being dumb because I know why it's used as a political yeah, for lever sure. and stuff. But it's like, but why it's, it's, would- It's valuable to challenge it and ask. Because yeah. when you interrogate it, it becomes very difficult for people to reasonably yeah. What is it exactly about it? coal mining that makes you particularly Australian? Is it not the fact that you live in Australia and that you identify with the country that makes you Australian? What is it about your specific job? If you were to- change to a different mine would that make you less australian if you were to fucking uh get retraining and 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 i'm not a huge fan of forcing people out of their industries and into retraining and stuff like that because that's the shit that's been no uh, we're not huge fans of forcing people into anything yeah but when you have a material (laughs) reality which is that coal mining is declining one way or another for both market reasons and environmental reasons and is like you know particularly causing serious environmental harm yeah because you can't pretend that our coal being shipped abroad doesn't contribute doesn't count as part of our emissions because it yeah. obviously fucking does yeah and <laughs> it's such a political uh export right we can spend like so china has recently knackered the coal right yeah. and the there are people like oh but we can we can still electrify india with the coal like yeah but you could just need one indian prime minister to run on a ending reliance on foreign energy imports ticket yeah which modi could do in a heartbeat yeah because it's a very fucking both right and left position to take is we want our own energy production yeah (laughs) and you're fucked it's it's stupid it's such a precarious position to be in uh it's causing australia like the fucking the i forget which mp it was but was who was like oh if china doesn't want to take our coal maybe we'll stop taking their students and it's like, yeah, oh, good, good job, man. So in return for them not giving us we'll uh, one industry, we'll destroy another. Yeah. yeah, we'll just destroy our fucking $30 billion industry or however big it is. Jesus fucking Christ, it's dumb. But like yeah. we had- we, mm. Sell low, buy high seems to be serious Liberal Party thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had proud communities of like fucking- coopers and somehow we managed to move on with the decline in the need for barrels although we obviously we still make barrels it's we still make barrels maybe but it's it the is perfect a, analogy it's a for, very different you're right it is it is now a, a more technological and less artisanal yeah process i don't think anybody industry, would but. disagree when you say wooden barrels are like aesthetically far superior to steel ones yeah you also couldn't possibly argue that they're better because they're not yeah. And if you're starting up a, a brewery and you're like, oh, all right, so I need like 10,000 litres worth of barrel. Uh, what is the wood versus the 
steel going to cost me? And it's like, oh, all right. Yeah, cool. I'll go with the fucking steel because it costs a seventh as much as handcrafted. What? I don't know. I feel like the analogy is getting away from me a little well, bit. Well, but, but pubs can't use wooden barrels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's like how the couplings work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's exclusively fucking, yeah, vineyards and, yeah. and shit. Yeah, if and you need to all, age stuff. Always a pre And there's still like a market for aging casks, though they're yeah. very different to what people imagine. I think people feature like a lovely French villa with all dusty mm. barrels stacked up 18th century style underneath it. Which is yeah, what is it actually like? Not, they're just big industrial drums, but they're lined with wood. Oh. That is, that is disappointing. I was picturing the yeah you're supposed to yeah yeah it's they never draw the, when they have the little sketch the little old like nineteenth century sign makers style sketch yeah. on the label they never draw the fucking the big industrial <laughs> woodlined drum it's always the little fucking stacked up barrels yeah the fucking knaves uh so that was just venting some frustration there about the Labour Party losing another easy battle to win support from the countryside. Yeah, a relatively unfocused topic, at least on my part. But um, uh, My part as well. I thought there was going to be more in the train fuck-up, but it turned out to be just very black and white. Well, it's just like, yeah, For they some reason, it up. they decided not to renovate the tracks after all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now they're having to ask the federal government to fund. So to, to make it even worse, actually, whatever benefit is experienced by the rural community from this project is going to now have a stamp of approval from the Liberal National Party, not from the fucking Labour Party. So actually yeah. they've made it, the situation so much worse than if they just hadn't done the project in the first place. Yeah. Cretans, Kieran. Fucking cretans. Um, obvious parallels, of course, to the NBN, which the, the, yeah, the press just tried to or certain elements of the press just tried to report as the coalition has decided to upgrade the NBN. Yeah. And uh, yeah, everybody was just to, like, you mean default to the actual plan? Yeah. The, the good plan <laughs> that would have been cheaper if they'd done it from the, uh, the get go. Tony Burke's trying to explain to a coalition voter that it's the reason South Korea's, um, <laughs> fiber optic network was so much cheaper than Australia's is because they've got like twice our population and less land than Tasmania. And mm. the thing about cable is you have to it's like, primarily roll it a out distance out space. Distance yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. That was, that was one of the few times I felt for the Burke. I there say. must be, there must, they're all fucking, they deserve it. They all deserve any punishment that the universe do, throws at them. But but there must be so many times as a politician like, where you just go like, Oh Jesus. All right. Uh, <laughs> Okay, uh, so the internet is a series of tubes, <laughs> which is less wrong than than people. It act is at. less wrong than people act like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it also you can argue that such phys- a- physically it does take the form of a kind of tube, I yeah. guess. Condu- and he was just trying to explain cable. bandwidth. Yeah, and it was a silly analogy. It was really the aesthetics of a fucking sweating, stammering well, old man. Yeah, the, the, the internet is it's a series of tools. He just needed to say that the internet has physical loading limits that we need to be mindful of. Yeah, like it, was, it, was, it would have been easy for him to if he hadn't used an analogy. Yeah, he yeah. could have explained it far more clearly. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. The internet is not a magical force; it's a computer network. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's cabling. Yeah, there's a limit to the there's amount of data power. that we can carry. It's not like the. It's not a, a new kind of atmosphere, electrical yeah. atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, 
his argument was disingenuous and he was arguing against net neutrality. So fuck him. I'm glad that he ate shit on And I think that is one of the reasons why people were so horrible to him. Because he was a horrible person who deserved to suffer. Yeah. However, (laughs) it would have been a much clearer explanation had he not tried to analogize. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately getting lost in the analogy. Like, it's a series of tubes and then be like, oh, what's in the tubes for the next bit? And if you try to put too much data through the tubes. Too much internet in the tubes. (laughs) Yeah. Back off the analogy. Inject the original topic into the analogy in a sort of nested metaphor scenario. But at least you can be sure nobody will ask any follow-up questions because the journalists are all completely disorientated and are too afraid of... If journalists were less frightened of demonstrating of being honest about the fact that they don't understand what someone is saying, mm. it would have a very different political discourse. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> what that means. They should just be able to Nathan for you it and yeah. put up their hand and just be like, what that means? <laughs> uh, all right, let's <laughs> move on. Let's move on to the reason for the season. Yeah. And other rhymes and couplets. Yes. God bless ye merry gentlemen. Neither a couplet nor a rhyme, but... But by acknowledging that, you have somewhat kept within the topic. Sure. And so we can begin to discuss, uh, I think maybe after a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. Let's have a cup of tea. I think it's traditional to have a cup of tea when discussing. Hey, listener, why don't you have a cup of tea with us? It's time for a pot and a prayer. (laughs) Welcome back, listener. Welcome back, listener. You've got to have faith, or do you? (laughs) <laughs> on a very special Sunday episode. I mean, we're recording on a Saturday and I probably won't get it out until Monday, but I'll do some this of the editing work on a Sunday. This feels even more like a Sunday episode than most of our episodes feel like a boozy afternoon Sunday episode. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's Boxing Day. We're here having a chill one and we're going to talk about God. So this is your idea, this segment. This was my idea. Uh, I thought- Can you set it up for the listener? Kieran and I have had different but related experiences with not believing in God, attitudes to faith and churches, and movements towards a more holistic, progressive political perspective. Yeah. And we thought, being as this is, after all, the celebration of- Baby G, the Naz, the mm-hmm. false messiah, mm-hmm. that we could share those with each other and uh, and with you, the audience, because faith is uh, an important and interesting thing. And mm. I think on the left, amongst progressive circles, there's a lot of anxiety about faith and religion. There are lots of people who view culture as inviolable. Lots of people who view culture as inherently oppressive. Lots mm-hmm. of people who have both of those positions. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> and, Depending on which way the um, wind blows. There's a, an enormous amount of, especially with the Abrahamic religions in the Western left, <clears throat> a lot of concern about patriarchy, about capitalism, about progressive politics, and about how the role that faith has in that kind of discourse. Um, and it can uh, elucidate, I think, some conversations that don't necessarily have final conclusions, but are inherently very interesting and Mm. enjoyable and worth having. Yeah. So I will, because it was my idea, I will, and, and, and because I have, I think, 
a a more kind of basic bitch relationship to faith and God than Kieran, because Kieran's involved a little bit more self-reflection and meditation. I will start the audience off with my kind of more digestible uh, binary crisis, and, and you can you can follow up with your slightly more nuanced one. I don't know if it's that much more nuanced, but yeah, yeah. Let's well, it through. is. So, because there was, I was, I was watching, I can't, YouTube sometimes throws like old algorithm stuff up at you. And one of them was a thing that the amazing atheist had done, which I won't go into because he's a boring man with boring opinions and is a hypocrite and God knows what else. But he was doing one of his rants about religion and ignorance. And I was remembering that I used to feel very strongly about how religion was merely a form of ignorance and was essentially nothing more than a control tool, right? Which is a really kind of um, cack-handed interpretation of Marx's opiate of the masses line, which Mm. even Christopher Hitchens used to complain was a far too limited approach to understanding what he meant when he said religion is the opiate of the people. Yeah, well, I think- Because he didn't say that. (laughs) He had a much more interesting line. And also, like, even with that misinterpretation, it might have been- Vonnegut, I'm not sure. It could have been somebody else who was just like, yeah, when opiates were the principal painkillers and symptomatic treatment. That's right. For very real agony. That's right. Yeah. They're not not writing about a kind of drug pandemic. Yeah. Uh, It is the sigh of the oppressed creature, I think, was Marx's line. Yeah. And I think that's very true. But -hmm. it's also the sign of the oppressing creature. Yeah. Yeah. There's Um, no doubt that all of that shit, the the ignorance and the oppression and the control, uh, social control and political control and, and monetary control is all present and and clear and dangerous in, in organised religion. For sure. And I was raised... My, my parents were careful not to, like, shovel lots of hard views down my throat. They mm-hmm. were very keen on the idea that I should think critically about the world around me. Um and, and and be moral, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, I wasn't ever sat down and said, you know, this is what this family believes. These are the rules that we live by. It was very much more a, a showing by doing yeah. approach. Um, and I did have, uh, as I, st- I, I still have a deep mistrust of organized faith communities, yeah. but I did have a poisonous hatred for religion in general, which kind of settled in when I was at my Catholic primary school, probably not coincidentally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, although nothing happened to me, I should stress, St. Michael's appears to have been quite a uh, abuse-free parish, at least where the priests were concerned anyway. Mm. And took me through until I was really in my early 20s when I began to perceive that the hatred I had for religion was, in fact, a, a hatred for power and hierarchy and the abuses of power and hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And that confining that to religion was an extremely inelegant and incorrect um, mistake that I'd made because it's something that uh, imbues any form of organisation that is founded on an ideological position and has a structure. Yeah, It's not a simple matter of religion good, non-religion... Sorry, religion bad, non-religion good. People will behave well if you remove the warping effect of faith from them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And part of this was because of guys like the Amazing Atheist, uh, 
it was, I think, five or six years ago where sort of one by one these new atheist guys essentially all ended up being complicit in some form of sexual assault or having some kind of proto-fascist opinion or just essentially failed to present any compelling argument as to how a world without religion would fundamentally be a better and more moral place, Mm. Um, which you get from a more holistic leftist view when you analyze, uh, like in Rebecca Solnit's wonderful book, um, A Paradise Born in Hell, like there's concrete proof that people, regardless of the uh, kind of impetus or hindrance of religion, will try to build better communities when they're in crisis. Uh, and that that betterment of the that, that attempt by the masses to better themselves is usually hindered by an economic interest as as often as it is by a cultural interest. Yeah, um, it became basically untenable for me to say that my new atheism was fundamentally because of these injustices, and mm. leave it at religion and and confine it to religion when yeah. it was clearly not a complete picture. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. I think that's a really common uh, line for people. And I think it's it's <clears throat> uh, common and understandable and to a degree admirable to be hardcore atheist for a little bit when you're young, like as a, as a stepping stone to somewhere. Uh, but yeah, as, as you deepen your understanding of, the oppression that's taking place, it has to take you away from uh, just being a hardcore atheist for a bunch of reasons, I think. Yeah. And it, I'm fine with people being atheists. So, like, it's a perfectly logical and reasonable position. I think it is. To I, take, and I would consider myself atheistic mostly, so... Well, I, th- fine, I think whatever. you have to accept that ultimately the position of being the um, agnostic mm-hmm. is the intellectually honest position because it's not a knowable fact yeah right yeah and then the question of belief is relatively private and unimportant yeah yeah yes i agree i mean agreeance uh cool shall i bang on about yeah because i think your your take is going to be a little bit more interesting because you were a man of faith i was religious I i was like uh standard religious i would say for most of my childhood just like it was what i was brought up in and i was like whatever yeah cool this is what i believe my Parents are both Catholic, mum more so than dad, I think, and mum's mum was, like, very uh, fucking religious. Uh, Not to a, like, like an oppressive, strict level. Like, my parents didn't really have any problems with their children leaving the faith or whatever. Uh, Mum has a lot of critiques of the Catholic Church, like, there's... She she understands the distinction between the Catholic tradition of faith and the organization of the uh, the hierarchy and everything like that. So whatever, but quite religious. And I was just, you know, boilerplate religious because that was my environment until I was, I would say, 15 when I moved, 14 when I moved to England. And uh, I didn't have language for the onset of sudden, very severe contextual depression that uh that i experienced uh and didn't really realize what was going on with me until much later and then i would say i became quite 
religious in a, like I still hated mass or whatever, but for some reason, like I just glommed onto that and I was like, well, this is going to be okay. And maybe like, if I fucking pray hard enough, then God will make it rain and I won't have to do sport because like sport was like legitimately quite abusive in, in yeah. the British school English system. English PE and stuff. is very different to Australian PE. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's army shit. Like, like <laughs> physical abuse. Uh, uh, so that was like the general, uh, vibe of things. That's why I was religious. I was just coping with suffering basically. And I remember having an argument with my friend who was a hardcore atheist who was asked and he had had leukemia as a kid and had like spent time with other kids with leukemia. And one of his very close friends had died when they were very young. And he was asking me like, what God could... Uh, fucking allow that to happen, which is a very reasonable question. Uh, <clears throat> and I don't remember exactly the answer that I gave, but I was just, I had my little logical fucking things for everything. And, you know, like, oh, there's evil in the world. That's part of it or whatever, or, you know, whatever, uh, fucking situation. That's the sort of person I was, which, uh, I cringe to think about a little bit. And when I got back to Australia, I just left like it, it, the logical inconsistency of all of it became too much for me to bear. And I was basically like, if there was ever a God as described by the Catholic tradition, that concept has not been kept under good stewardship in the intervening time. <laughs> Certainly not. <clears throat> and it's impossible to trust the orthodoxy of the organization that, that speaks in his name. I became pretty indifferent about the idea of, uh, God, I would I call I, I think of myself as agnostic. It, it sounds like you sort of started to worry that you were becoming a kind of Catholic tanky, almost. Yeah, well, I definitely, I sh yeah, I really fucking shudder to think of actively being religious because it's so alien to me now as an idea. Um, but basically, like, I just came to the position that it's like if there's a supreme and all powerful being, then I've just got to fucking live. And then see what happens. Yeah. He'll sort me out at the end. And if he punishes me, well then fuck him. Uh, or her. Or her. Or they, or it, or us. Or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and there's like, you know, there's an unknowability to, to the universe. There's mystery. Uh, the whole fucking magical era of consciousness for which any given scientific explanation is insufficient in the same way that love is scientifically just, uh, you know, transfers of social attachment chemicals and stuff that's insufficient to explain the experience of love mm. and we're experiential beings. Uh, we don't, we don't experience being, we experience experience or whatever. <clears throat> so, we're phenomenological, I'm saying, not ontological. Us, the consciousness. No, I think that's I think that's a dumb way of uh, <clears throat> putting it. And insofar as I'm capable of being more rigorous, uh, I, I have to be rigorous, even if it's not the most important correction to make. All I'm doing is just restating the basis of phenomenology, which is we only access the noumenon of reality through experience and phenomenon, not through any sort of direct... Uh, being being and experience are, uh, are separate and irreducible to each other, I guess, I'm saying. Anyway, whatever. That was probably equally dumb. Philosophers, 
uh, yell at me through the email address. And that requires... I'm getting twisted up. So, like, God. It's hard not to, whatever, because everyone does discussing this. Yeah. Whatever. Vis-a-vis -vis God, whatever. And I, I do think that uh, our perception is so heavily limited of not just physical reality, but, uh, like, in terms of matter and shit, but also, like... Uh, how time works and how space works is we have a very limited uh, perspective on those things and how consciousness works and stuff like that. So if I die and I join some super mind of vibrating energy, there'll be a part of me that's like, oh yeah, this makes sense. I'm not going to be surprised by it. But by the same token, if I just wink out into non-existence, which I think is the most likely outcome, you know, whatever, mm. it's fine. I, if I were around to experience that, I'd be like, oh yeah. That makes sense as well. That figures. But the thing that gets me the the about faith. Firstly, I have tremendous sympathy for the faithful uh, who are doing it to get through life, which is a bitter disappointment most of the time. Uh, and I have as much sympathy for them. I have contempt for the people that exploit them through various religious structures. Uh, part of the problem was that I took the teaching seriously as well. I got to make that point and I was like, all right, so it's all about being good to each other. And then I saw that it was much more fucking messy than that within and without religion. And it was like, all right, so this is insufficient to carry the lesson. This structure is not uh, sufficient to, to carry the lesson. But that was another tangent. With regards to faith, like... so. It, it, our consciousness and our experience of life operates on faith at some level. And it's a, it's a much more basic level. But at some point, you have faith that you're experiencing things accurately. You have faith that you're being understood accurately. You have faith that you're not in a special episode of a sci-fi show where you keep flashing to the asylum and a doctor is like, you've been crazy the whole time. There's an element of faith that's inherent to human experience. So the, the scientistic... Uh, derision of faith is doesn't make a lot of sense to me because scientists working at the top of their field understand this as well. They understand the instability of well, the connection between our perception and reality. Plenty of scientists <clears throat> are deeply religious people. Yeah. Um, and, and philosophers understand at this level that reality is on some level an illusion. Like, that sounds like a stoner thought when you just say it, but then you... When you study... When you uh, play it out and you understand that reality is something that has to be interpreted... Yeah. That, that it's not... Oh, I believe that reality is something that exists completely independently of us, mm -hmm. but that is of yeah, no too. value to us until we have interpreted it. Like yeah, There yeah. is some sort of mechanism that we have to scan it and analyse it. Yeah, the entirety our of our experience is through uh, sensory apparatus that, that give us a representation of reality <clears throat> rather than its true self or whatever. So faith operates on that level <clears throat> and it's so central to our functioning minds and our social minds the idea of uh some great thing that we have faith in that i have never met somebody who has deinstalled religion as their central ideology uh or mythology uh, is what i would use who hasn't replaced it with something so the idea that you can just take that out and then be a perfectly rational person and exist more uh, logically in the world is feels like 
falling out of one stupidity into a greater stupidity to me. Yeah. So this is the trap that I was aware that I had fallen into. And yeah, uh, I think a lot of people fall into it. I think it's a natural step to fall into. Um, I've never experienced the process mm. of having God uh, sort of die on me, as it were. Yeah. You said- It sucks. Yeah, I can I tell you that. I was about to ask, because you, you particularly say that your faith was brought to a, a, a greater intensity- by an incredible emotional vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, did you? Was it like a bereavement process as you began to find God fading from your awareness, or or, or from the, or that that what had been a real link? Yeah, I think it's it's fascinating the way our brains do this. Regardless of the reality of God existing, you had a psychological real connection to Him or it. Yeah, yeah, which was severed. Well, that that's the the thing, right? And as an experiencing being, then that is reality. The second that it's conjured up in your head, it's as concrete as uh, anything that you experience, and it's like a hallucination or whatever. Um, It was pretty smooth for me, to be honest, because I didn't start seriously losing faith until I had started healing, or until I was, like, out of the fire. I don't... I'd never healed. I don't know if that's, like... uh, I don't think inherent to my mind. I don't know how much to apportion to society more broadly, how much to attribute to this specific traumatic, uh, period, uh, or whatever. I don't know. But, um, when I started, when I got, when the peak of that, uh, that period, I think we adapt more than heal where these things are concerned. Yeah. Uh, whatever. When the intensity of that started to taper off, then the, faith shit started to taper off at the same time. And I didn't really experience any fallout because my parents are very, when I just told mum that I wanted to stop going to mass, she was like, all right, I'm sure she was disappointed, but she's too good of a uh, woman because she takes the teachings of Jesus seriously to, uh, to take it out on me or to make me feel like I was making the wrong choice. She trusted me to do whatever. So that was fine. I wasn't in a big social group of religious people or anything. I would have been, the most religious one of my group of friends in England and probably in Australia as well. Most of my friends would have been like atheist or agnostic. Unusually low levels of religiosity in Australia and and England compared to the world at large. Yeah. My most religious friend was Muslim. So (laughs) there was no like uh, uh, consequence there for he was happy that I was. Um, (laughs) No, I... (laughs) I don't think he felt much uh, one way or the other. But, yeah, it was fairly painless to me. It was it happened fairly naturally, and I didn't have to fight any social fallout. I understand that for a lot of people it's much more difficult because of the social dynamics yeah. that they have to deal with. Yeah, 100%. I, I imagine it would be. I'm quite disappointed that it was a very straightforward and easy process for you. Yeah, sorry. I was hoping that would I mean, be yeah, more fun for us. It definitely... <laughs> sucked yeah to 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 come to terms with but because i didn't because it wasn't replaced with a great feeling of absence or whatever it was first replaced with uh like i would say very briefly with a sort of soft theistic agnosticism where i was like there probably is a god but he's just not this one and then that kind of tapered into a more mature i would argue uh agnosticism where it's just like can't know can't materially affect my life mm. much like one knowing, I mean, can't affect my life 
much one way or the other. So whatever. I don't know. Does it is that that's a that's a fairly brief overall. I think it's, I Pretty think embarrassing it's, it's, to recall, more well, so than I would have uh, felt. <laughs> well, I, I've got a, a more embarrassing one for you because I've never believed in God with a you know capital G. Hmm. But when I was very small, to so like a big chunk of my time at primary school, I don't know, I don't remember exactly when it started or it stopped, but I was absolutely convinced that um, ghouls and ghosts and things were real. Yeah, me and, too, actually. Um, Magic and shit. And and there was a good, like, three years of my life where I was solidly terrified of being, like, tormented by a fiend of some sort. Yeah. Which was born out of nothing that I can remember and disappeared for no reason that I can yeah. really recall. I think there's probably... But it was odd, that, looking back yeah. on it, that I was so extremely sceptical of there being like a supernatural force of good in the world, mm. but was very convinced that there were supernatural forces of evil in the world, which I think is not irrational to a child's mind, given no. the way the world yeah, yeah. <laughs> seems to work. Um, but I, I did very much have this idea that, that, that human beings were surrounded by real malignant uh, ghasts and revenants and things. Yeah. So I was very... Uh, very nervous when I was away from bright lights for for three painful years. <laughs> yeah, but I definitely didn't feel any sense of loss when that belief <laughs> broke apart. My friends, the ghost friends. I'll tell you a story that's related to ghosts and religion. I was big into like supernatural shit around that age. I would say, um, and me and my friends got really into the idea of ghosts and shit uh, in England. So I would have been fourteen, I guess. Now, we had a religion teacher that, because uh, it was a religious school, most of the t uh, religious teachers were brothers, like it legit monks. They showed up in black robes and and stuff. And one was this guy, Spike, who was like a former drug addict, uh, rough dude, like a big fucking brick shithouse English guy. <clears throat> he was like, all right now, boys very colorful character but we got this new guy in a canadian dude called mr jones who wasn't a brother but was very religious and had been at the vatican and who taught us demonology Ooh, as okay. his subject uh and so we learned about like the malleus maleficarum and shit and he taught told us about the weird fucking exorcists that the vatican still keep active and stuff and how there's like a serious belief in demonic possession in the like high ranks of the catholic church and shit we were eating this fucking stuff up and halfway through the term the religion classes all got shuffled around and we got shuffled to a different teacher because obviously he wasn't supposed to be teaching us about demonology he just made he just done an audible <laughs> it was just very and important decided to, him. to yeah and uh at the, the time original podcaster yeah yeah darren brown had just done a seance uh special uh, which was yeah. obviously designed to debunk the existence of ghosts but there was all of this stuff about like oh if you feel a like somebody watching you from behind, call this hotline or whatever. And apparently if you called the hotline, it was just being uh, just a person being like, this is a magic trick, sweetie. Don't worry. Ghosts aren't real. We're not summoning ghosts into your house. Just keep watching. At the end, he reveals that the dead people are alive in a production van out the back. <laughs> um, but we were watching it. And we were like, oh, this is so cool. And we were going to do a seance because we were like, I guess, you know, teenagers were like, oh, we're going to get a Ouija board and we're going to do a seance. And we told this fucking teacher about it because we thought he would be stoked. And he was like, 
do not do a seance. <laughs> and he's like, look, probably nothing will happen, but on the one in a million chance. And at the time, like, it was just like, whoa, Mr. Jones is so cool. He knows all about demonology and shit. But now I think back on it and I'm like, what a pathetic fucking dude that he's in his fucking 40s and he's engaging with kids' belief in ghosts and shit. That's sad. Look, I don't think it's big news to anybody that the brothers should vet some of their staff mm-hmm. better and more thoroughly than they do. Yeah. Maybe should get somebody who's not one of the brothers to vet their staff. Yeah. Well, he would have seemed like such a fucking get because it's like this lay religious person who was embedded in the Vatican for a few years and worked with people there. What a fucking get for a little Catholic school in, in fucking... Bedfordshire or whatever county it was in. Uh, don't recall. Bedfordshire seems like a good choice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's as good as any. Because <laughs> that's where around where I was. Um, the three county line was in my backyard. Bedfordshire, really? Hertfordshire and Buckinghamshire. The corner was in did my backyard. Did you have ramblers come through? Uh, we didn't, but we did have a cornfield out the back with a forest beyond it that we went and explored once. And there was a shack in the forest. One really? of those, like, I think that would have been too much for me when I was that We age. did not investigate <laughs> the shack. We saw it and we were like, because we started out, we're like, we're going on our adventure. You know, we got our fucking like dumb fake swords or whatever we had at that yeah. time. Because we were just ner- nerd fucking general all purpose nerd. I'm losers. sure everyone just fell off their chairs in shock to yeah, learn yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I made chain mail then, which I still have. Uh, and we go, we're like, oh, it's an adventure. We're walking through the forest. And then we saw the shack and it's just like, all right, yep, let's just keep going. A nice, uh, normal stroll through the forest. We're just going to walk quickly back around to the house. Uh, yeah. Anyway, this dude would have seemed like a big get to the school, but he was a lunatic. That's my ghost related religion story. I was obsessed with poltergeists. I used to read very heavily about mm you know, accounts of poltergeist activity yeah. and so forth. Um, yeah, it was, it's funny. I hadn't really ever thought about this, but it is extremely odd that I was so scathing of my friends because going to a Catholic primary school, a lot of the yeah. kids were believers in, in, in Christ and the church and so on. And I had nothing but like, you know, blistering contempt for these ridiculous ideas. Yeah. And then I had to go home and I couldn't get into bed until I'd taken all the sheets off to make sure there wasn't like a bony hand waiting to throw Yeah, yeah. Astonishing, the, the ideas that we can hold in our heads simultaneously. Yeah. Well, because it's not... Lo- <laughs> this is the problem with the, the really hardline new atheist thing is we're not logical creatures. We're, we're not. Emotional storytelling mythological creatures. And to live maturely and healthily, I think you have to embrace that. And you need to have a like a logical materialist uh read on the world so that you can interact for everybody's benefit you know you have to like this is good socialism or whatever but at some level you have to acknowledge that you're buying into mythology yeah well nobody who's ever done a back to basics approach to building a new intellectual system has ever produced anything satisfactory yeah or they what was the positivists that philosophical movement in like the fucking early 20th or late, late mid late 19th century yeah that was just an abject failure and they yeah. were like you can't really say anything about the world if you exclusively go off of empirical data because it wouldn't be for another century that people would just be like language is i my favorite uh version of this is uh nietzsche 
who says that like every word is a metaphor that's like an old coin that we've turned over in our fingers so much that we that it's smoothed over and yeah. we can't recognize it as a metaphor. Yeah, well, this is a kind of Wittgenstein thing as well, isn't it? There's no philosophical problems. There are only language problems yeah. and interpretation problems. Yeah. It's the big post-structuralist thing. It's like you can never get to the center or the root. This is why Derrida was... Partly why Derrida was so interesting to me because uh, he explains how God works uh, in an ideology... Or any God stand in, whether it's the nation state, whether it's capitalism, whether it's whatever, <clears throat> sometimes, you know, Marxism or. For sure. Or, There's plenty you know, of tankies on the internet. Yeah, Stalin or whatever. He explains how the center works in thought and in language in a very. It's tricky to get your head around because he's using language to explain it, but it's a very coherent, uh, solid explanation of how things, how centers work in in thought systems and in uh, language systems. And that resonated with me because I'd fucking, yeah, been religious and then stopped being religious, but still never quite cottoned onto the lake. The problem with new atheism is that you have to follow it down its line to nihilism. Yeah. And nihilism is an unstable thing. I think the, the criticism was made actually quite early on, but I was too blinkered to see it, that the new atheists were reading religious texts as fundamentalists. And all mm. they were were fundamentalists who didn't agree with what they were reading. Yeah. But w refused to read it in any other fashion and refused to accept any of the contexts that came with the mythologies that they were interacting with. Yeah. I think it's it's important f f to understand religious texts are kind of... It's a starter's guide, as it were. A mm. religious text is not the entirety of a faith and it's not a complete in and of itself version of its own narrative or its own yeah. structures because there's thousands of years of historic context that has to be understood yeah. in order to kind of divine the meanings of, of various things yeah even things something as simple as like idiomatic language use mm -hmm. right and the fact yeah. that you know if you translate an idiomatic expression into greek and then into latin and then into english yeah it might lose some of the original yeah, meaning <laughs> you can have entire fucking sectarian schisms based off of the ambiguous translation of a word yeah yeah I, it always chaps my hide when people are like oh but you have to believe everything in the bible and sometimes it's useful to talk to a religious fundamentalist and be like so how... How do you square how, these contradictions? Yeah, how because, much should I sell my daughter for? Whatever yeah. whatever fucking thing it is that you use. That how can, was that, your lobster lunch? Did you enjoy it? You're going to go to hell. Yeah, you can use those uh, contradictions rhetorically against the religiously fundamentalist, but the a-religiously fundamentalist uh, who say you have to follow everything is the same as the people who say science doesn't find... Uh, science finds sexual dimorphism in every species or most species or most mammals or whatever. So therefore trans people don't exist. They're all mentally ill, but it's like, no, trans people do exist. And the role of science is not to prescribe what should be. It's to describe what is trans people exist. And then if you want to be transphobic, then it's a moral or philosophical problem, mm. but they don't like engaging with it on a moral or philosophical level because then they're bad they're people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's because it's a, it's bad to be transphobic. Uh, 
and it's the same with with when uh, a fundamentalist atheist is like, oh, but you don't believe everything, and so therefore you're not a real religious person. And it's like, where well, are you trying to make them a better Christian? Like they are Christian and they believe what they believe, so you have to reckon with that. And you, if you don't understand that these multiple interpretations can exist or that these multiple expressions of faith can exist, then you don't understand the religion that mm. you claim to understand so well that you can tear it apart. Yeah, like a Scottish Presbyterian and a, an Egyptian Gnostic are both as yeah. Christian as each other yeah. or as unchristian as each other, potentially. Yeah. And yeah. a Hindu is no more or less religious necessarily than a Gnostic Christian in Egypt or a you know, Mormon in Utah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And obviously, if you want to be really literalistic about it and be like, "Oh, so one of these gods exists," that means that all the other ones are wrong. And it's like, yeah, on some level, that's right. But also, because we don't know what happens after death, that argument is as irrelevant as, or that contradiction is not particularly relevant to how religion actually works in the world. Yeah. Which you know, I mean, I would like to see large organized religions end because. The concentrations of power are extremely bad, but also like more decentralized religions, like various versions of Buddhism, are still very capable of being co-opted. For sure, and look, actually, the the whole point of Scottish Presbyterianism was to abolish the bishops and mm. make this a, a simple community exercise yeah. in faith. And Presbyterians can still be enormously problematic. Yeah. So I I, I think. This is where I, this is something that I would have grabbed, say, fifteen years ago, and mm -hmm. said, "Aha! You see, this distortion of reality is inherently unhealthy. It doesn't matter yeah. the intentionality of the practitioner. What matters is the fact that their view of reality is being distorted by faith in a dictatorial entity, yeah. right? Which has absolute right and wrong boundaries." Yeah. But <clears throat> looking at it now, I can see that it's really just a simple <laughs> series of like metaphors and thought experiments combined with a faith in a greater benevolence. And that if people uh, use that to entrench power or to abuse people who have, you know, sexual or gender or racial differences or political differences, yeah. that those prejudices are all caused by essentially, you know, different different intellectual... They have different intellectual roots. But yeah. they, they may be fused and justified by a pre-existing faith in a god or in gods or, or something. Yeah. But that, that religion is not... I can understand how I used to think that it was the source of those prejudices and those fears, mm. but that was because I didn't understand how human beings function, you know, the, yeah. the same way, like I, I wasn't a, an anarcho-capitalist or anything, but mm. you, you hear them on and you sort of speak to them and it's very clear that their view of why freedom is good and how freedom should function is not connected to any kind of actual psychological understanding of human beings. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I don't see much of a differentiation between that and religious faith, really. And it's well, and the the simple experiment is that people are not, in my experience, more moral without religion. No, a hundred percent not. Like the whole, it part of it is difficult because religion has been so uh, present throughout 
much of modern human history that like widespread uh, secular communities or, or non-religious communities <clears throat> are a fairly recent phenomenon. But like you, if you take like, I would say that like Silicon Valley would be an example of a cultural uh, ideology taking place that's not religious and <clears throat> definitely atheistic more than it is religious. Mm. Uh, and the people that come out of Silicon Valley are feral. They suck. They suck really, really badly because they're logical ideologies that they think because they can program computers that they're more logical than other people. All skills are completely applicable across all areas. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you have Elon Musk, who thinks that building car tunnels under LA or under San Francisco is a good idea. He thinks that colonizing Mars yeah. is a good idea. Yeah, and is Allegedly. like feasible and possible within his lifetime. Like that—that that is a leap of faith. And obviously, he has a roadmap to it. And fuck, he might do it or he might not. But he won't do it. No, I don't think he will either. But I do want to hedge <laughs> my bets just in case. Saying that Elon Musk will fail at colonizing Mars. Yeah, his rocket blew up the other day which was good uh, i know that was to be fair to him that was a test yeah i know but it still <laughs> blew up and it was good to say um true uh just because everybody was pissing their pants after he successfully landed the other rocket or whatever doesn't matter doesn't matter if he we we know that we can get rockets to mars because yeah. there's a fucking rover on there yeah. That's not the interesting bit. The no. interesting bit is how you make it. <laughs> That's very much the <laughs> easiest part of the equation and the bit that he's struggling to solve. So, yeah. How do you colonize that fucking place is a much, much bigger, thornier question. How do you colonize a planet made of poison soil with no mm. atmosphere? That is the hard yeah. part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God. Uh, it'll be rough to... But I'll enjoy hearing about it. Um... No, but, like, whenever you see a community ideology that's not religious crop up, it's just as much a throw of the dice, whether it's going to be good or not. Like, mm. new atheism as a movement. And, like you said, so many of them got embroiled in, like, sexual assault scandals or whatever, because... Which had been... The misogyny of the church was one of the primary yeah. battens that they wielded against it, which I wholeheartedly supported. Yeah. Um, and then they were caught doing unwanted sexy things. Yeah. By which I mean completely unsexy things, because it can't be sexy if it's not wanted. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think, like, my mum hates the the misogyny of the Catholic Church. I think that she has a more credible critique, even from within the church, than somebody who's like, the church is so misogynistic, and then goes and rapes a woman. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and what were your politics as a believing Christian? The answer that I gave to Darcy uh, was dog shit and inaccurate. So I'm editing one in because I have that power as the person editing the episode. Haha, -ha, deal with it. Uh, I, I wouldn't have identified as anything really politically in high school. Uh, I liked to think of myself as believing that everybody deserved help and dignity and stuff. But really, you know, I, I didn't have an ideology, which meant that I was a status quo person, you know, a private school boy and a teenager so pretty much probably what you can imagine uh all right Shh. i always try to maintain a little bit of admiration because like 
you have to do a lot of critiquing of religious uh, organizations and figures if you want to have a meaningful sort of structural take on the world. It's inevitable that when Scott Morrison starts giving fucking kickbacks and exemptions to the Hillsong Church that you have to <laughs> critique it. So I always try to maintain Church. just yeah. a little... Yeah. I suppose it is technically. <clears throat> yeah. I always try to maintain just a little bit of admiration for like that, that thread of Christian leftism. Or wherever it shows up, like, you know, who doesn't love reading the cool stories about Sikhs who put their very socialist in practice, or not, maybe not socialist, I don't know, but their very egalitarian philosophy into action. That's always nice to mm. hear. So, like, Christian leftists, I always try to maintain a little bit of... Oh, and there are lots kind of Christian of, leftists. Yeah, there's, there's, a, uh, a, there's a whole strain of political movement, the yeah. Christian leftist. Mads has this great story. So, her grandfather... Colin Thornton-Smith was a Christian leftist. He was part of the labor movement. He was uh, very much pro-workers' rights uh, and very much pro-separation of church and state. And he went to the same church as the Santa Marias, the infamous Uh, Santa Marias. The causes of Tony Abbott. Yeah. Thanks, Bob. Yeah. Probably the worst sort of uh, right-wing Christian presence in... Uh, Victoria. The Naz would have been furious with the Santa yeah. Maria's, I yeah. genuinely believe. He would have dealt with them the way he dealt with the merchants at the temple. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so Mads's granddad used to agitate for, like, separation of church and state and used to leaflet at the church for, like, workers' rights and, like, supporting strikes and stuff and got banned from the church at the behest of the Santa Maria's because he was doing left-wing organising through his church, which I think is pretty fucking cool Mm. this guy that i only ever knew as like an old french professor who was just like yeah a a young socialist firebrand in the church i I try to keep a little bit of admiration for those people even though i think the whole edifice is a bit you know i don't want to come across as too uh pro-christianity just because of my background but but it's not a question of being pro-christianity as much as it's being understanding of religious people as Mm as having the same diversity of thought and political opinion as the non-religious community yeah. is. I, um, I remember distinctly being, uh, as a new atheist, mm. far more right-wing than I am now, although I didn't perceive myself to be right-wing yeah. at the time. I believed that I was a political progressive, and in some senses that was true. But I had also very heavily bought into the idea that, you know, the failure of the Soviet Union and the kind of capitalization of China and all these things had had meant that socialism, whilst it sounded great, was not something that could ever be practically used. Mm. And that the best you could do was try to get bits of social democracy in place for a little while before they inevitably got destroyed by market forces i had a very yeah. very depressing yeah outlook a and sort i of think economic that, in a yeah way. and i i think that um bleakness fed the anger because i i didn't feel like i could <clears throat> like justifiably be angry at mm. the forces of commerce because as unpleasant as they were they were just the reality of how a, a, a cold and alien universe functioned, yeah. right? Yeah. An absurd universe would behave. And so it was much easier to be angry at uh, this clearly unnecessary component of oppression in human life that was yeah. organized faith. I think that was, certainly as I, as I became 
less interested in atheism as something in and of itself mm. and more interested in politics more broadly. Yeah. Um, I've, I've found that by accepting progressive thought and discovering that progressive thought was something that was, in fact, uh, far from being pie in the sky, dreaming based on a critical analysis of the world and yeah, yeah. A, a calmer understanding of why things were arranged the way they were. Mm. Uh, my anger at religion began to dissipate and it was replaced by an anger at oppressive mechanisms, which included churches, but was not an actual condemnation of religious people or religion necessarily. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so interesting um, that, that, that like despairing, like lib unwilling libertarianism or something that you were it was really, subjected to. I, I, I created an extremely unpleasant mental landscape for myself to live in as a teenager. Yeah. And I don't know that it's a bit of a chicken and egg one as to whether being depressed caused me to have this yeah. awful outlook on life or whether these fears and misunderstandings of the world fueled the depression. I was always, I always had a problem with anxiety as a child. I was a very anxious yeah. child. Um, but that doesn't necessarily become, you know, clinical depression. Yeah. Uh, so, so both of our polar opposite experiences with religion deeply and intimately connected to depression. Yeah, but I think that's I think that's probably not unusual. I think yeah. anybody who has a particularly strong faith experience, whether it's mm. embracing or rejecting the idea of faith, is somebody who's experiencing some form of unusual emotional activity. Yeah. You know, I think Whatever the like psychological framework is that a psychologist would consider to be balanced, normal, and healthy, is unlikely to produce strong views on faith. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, I think that I've got so many friends who were just like, yeah, no, it was never a, never a thing. I just didn't really buy into it. I got through the school, whatever. It's a bit boring. I like Jerusalem. It's a good song. <laughs> yeah, Blake could. Uh, Surely right. He could surely write. <laughs> <laughs> I read this long form article, I think in Rolling Stone. I could be wrong. It was a while ago, but it was like a, a personal essay from this this writer who had grown up in New York. She was Jewish. Her family was Jewish. Uh, and they were like a little bit religious, but not really. And then as an adult, she had become a non-practicing. Uh, she had stopped practicing and was just a sort of secular or whatever, her brother had moved to Israel and joined this orthodox uh, subgroup, I guess, like really, really hardcore religious uh, Judaism. And she went to Israel to talk to him and then wrote this article about her experience. And basically this group's contention was God is 100% real and he's a fucking monster. He's an absolute tyrant. So we have to follow his rules exactly or he'll fucking destroy us. This is our only path to salvation. I don't like it any more than you, but he is a fucking tyrant, a dictator. So we have to do what he says just to stay safe. And she was like, you know, and it was a great long form essay. She talked about the various troubles that uh, this guy had had and like speculated on why he'd been attracted to this thing and why she was so alienated from that perspective. But I was just so fascinated with that idea of religiosity that is yes. really from fear of God. As, as, as the uh, uh, great totalitarian. 
Yeah. Which that and that's that's very much in the tradition of the Christopher Hitchens yeah. kind of analysis of God. Yeah. And there are a lot of like Christian communities that do the same thing. That's like God is angry if you do this. Well the Calvinists are dreadful at that, aren't they? Yeah. What's interesting to me is that your description of like that despair, that uh atheistic yes. despair is kind of just like God isn't real, but the market is real and the market is a fucking cunt. So yeah, there's it's no true. salvation. And it is a slightly Irish atheist. Outlook where you you abandon faith in God, but the devil still has mm-hmm. all of his power and <laughs> influence. Yeah, all the furnaces in hell are still burning. There's just nothing upstairs. Yeah, yeah, that was very much the bleak state that I was in. Yeah. But it it was <laughs> it was also a kind of um, refuge because an- anger is something that can burn depression away a little bit. Yeah, not permanently, but when you're angry, the depression is lifted. Yeah. Well, this is apparently uh, a part of why we were talking about abuse before, but a part of why men are so fucking volatile mm. when under distress and such a danger to people around them is because of our emotionally constipated cultural norms. Um, yeah. Anger is so often the, the outward expression. The humiliated fury, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. I don't know if hanging out was I... I think I was coming to the tail end of being a massively problematic drinker when you and I started hanging out, but I still was one. Mm. And you know, I, there was definitely some times yeah. where we were hanging out where you were hitting it pretty hard. Fucking earth. Who amongst us wasn't, and, I guess. And, uh, yeah, no, it wasn't problematic in terms of the quantities, problematic yeah. in terms of the behaviours that right. uh, were produced. So I would um, sink into incredible, at the height of when I was very bad, which is... Yeah, probably was a little bit before we met, I think. Although still at times, just the most profound pits of hopelessness I'd find myself yeah. in. Uh, but uh, anger was the only thing that would kind of shift it out again. You yeah. Know? And, and and religion gave me a kind of permanent source of rage Yeah, that I could use to kind of feel... It felt like hike myself out. Yeah. So um, in that sense, anti-religion as religion. Yes, it was a, sort a of, very useful. Well, so this is yeah, the thing. It, it delayed, I'm fairly sure that it mm. delayed any kind of recovery for me for a substantial yeah, amount but, of time. As but well. I think that that's the experience. I don't think that anybody, I think it's vanishingly rare that somebody identifies the correct path out of that sort of despair at that age. Well, no, because if you can find, if you can see a way out of depression, then you've largely yeah, cured you're your pretty depression. Much out. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, and this is a, another problem that uh, new atheism and, and libertarianism. Oh, see, I don't want to be too unfair to libertarians. Politics generally, and 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 kind of critical thinking. When you're at the amateur phase of it, and you're just mm-hmm. being introduced to these ideas, and you get very excited and so on, it's very easy to not be aware of how inexperienced you are at life. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> and, is universal. And how that naivety leads you to extremely clumsy conclusions. Yeah, um, for sure. And I think that's one thing because I, I I don't like a lot of the hand wringing about the internet that you get from. Um, people who, who kind of grew up without it or, or, or are concerned about the malign influence that it has. But one yeah. area where I think the internet does have a genuinely terrible influence on people is that it brings together extremely large groups of naive people who wind each other up something shocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very difficult to... Uh, but I think part of that is due to its youth. Like, uh, that element is probably going to be there resentment 
uh, mutual resentment on on such a scale is yeah a manifest danger. But there's also yeah yeah a lot of good that it does. And oh for sure, I think that sure. like the 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 broad project of absolutely burying left wing politics might have been much much more successful if it weren't for the internet. Well, it was. Yeah. Wasn't well, it? it was successful for decades. You know yeah. the the nineties. You were very hard pressed to find anybody in public life who would mm. have described themselves as being even progressive. Yeah. Much less socialist, you know. Yeah, I don't know. The the idea that uh, you would commit to something as as mental as not being rich was <laughs> yeah. inconceivable, which I think is also possibly part of part of the existential despair that I had growing up. Yeah. Well. Well, I hope we... I hope that was interesting. Yeah. I found it interesting. I liked hearing. Hearing yeah. from you because I don't, we've we've I don't like going over it. I know you don't much. like. I don't like going over how what a disgusting little prick I yeah. used to be. <laughs> either it's very embarrassing, you know. Mm. Um, it's very embarrassing. But if we're going to laugh at other people, which we do on this program, I think <laughs> it's true. only fair that we. Yeah. Like, like Angus Deaton finally got fired from Have I Got News for You the third time he was caught with cocaine and prostitutes. <laughs> and the <laughs> producers were like, ah, oh, this shows very much geared at making fun of famous people doing stupid things. You can't keep hosting it after <laughs> the third time that this has happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is us showing our ass in good faith. Yeah, I think so. And I, I, I think it's um it's good to discuss religion and atheism in a kind of non violent communication. Mm. You know, to to emphasize the fact that that you can actually have a positive reflective experience talking about faith yeah it doesn't have to be a fucking fight all the time yeah. i'm more understanding of why american atheists are, uh, are, are, are aggressive because in america there is you know real harm being caused they have some by fucking virulent strains of, of very very cynical yeah. and uh, and wicked religious institutions yeah so i'm more on board with their anxiety but still, yeah. I, I think that you alienate yeah. more people than you win over. Yeah, 100% the, the fight against the oppression of religious organizations uh, anywhere, and particularly bad ones in the US. Like, that's a, that's a worthy fight that it has is. to be undertaken. But convincing but people it, that religion per se is wrong is a pointless battle. Well, to attack it from I the think. position of faith and is, an unproductive is battle. lunacy. Yeah. Unless you're going to offer alternatives, unless you're going to get- them with a scriptural argument that Jesus didn't actually want you to to ostracize every gay person in your community or whatever. Like Jesus may not even have been aware that there were such things as gay people. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. Um, we he, don't he doesn't come across as a worldly man. I think Jesus no. had a very limited life experience from what I've read of the yeah. the, uh, the Bible. Well, he was a small town carpenter who died in his and early 30s or mid 30s. Small town in the Bronze Age was a even smaller town than yeah, a small a very, town in the 21st century. <laughs> and they talk about him walking Not around and traveling quite like, widely. I yeah. haven't checked this, but I suspect if you look at a map on on a map at his- He was going around the equivalent of like Oakley or something. Yeah, yeah. probably like a pretty small <laughs> fucking scale thing. But well, he was- It wasn't a big country. Yeah. Israel, Palestine's not a big area now. It wasn't much bigger then, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, but one of the first proto-socialist 
or maybe not one of the first, but uh, well, certainly. I, I would argue a proto-socialist thinker, a hugely influential dude to the extent that we can attribute any of his stories to a real person. He, it, it is sufficiently ironic to be noteworthy yeah. that he was very much a liberation theologist, for sure. Yeah. Uh, if nothing else. Um, <laughs> yeah. For sure. So, yeah, I think the... I, I guess I, I summarise my position by saying that new atheism lost me when I realised it was less interested in resisting oppression generally than it was in engaging in an intellectual wankathon with some, as its enemies, some people who were being either disingenuous or just thick as pig shit. Yeah. And neither of which was a satisfying target, you know. Yeah, 100%. Uh, for my part, it's dumb. Religion is dumb. You don't have to be religious. But it's understandable, and I forgive you because I'm a good Christian. <laughs> uh, no, I don't really have a cogent point about. Well, you don't have to. This wasn't a cogent point kind of conversation, I don't think. Yeah, it was more just a, an experiential sharing and, and a reflection on yeah. how great it was to be teenagers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, such a good time. And children, I, being a child was mostly good. I should say I wasn't believe I wasn't afraid of ghosts when I was a teenager. It was mm. very much a childhood thing, which was otherwise a good childhood. It was just yeah. the ghosts were the only. I think I was into ghosts the when only I was a teenager. Hitch. All the were shit you? that I described, the demonology oh, teacher and shit, was when I was a See, teenager. See, I I would have preferred to have been into ghosts as a teenager than as a child. Yeah, because as a child it was just unstructured terror. Yeah, as a teenager I think it would have been a much more palatable and and uh, interesting experience. Yeah. Well, see, I, I wouldn't call it... I, yeah, I wasn't really terrified. What I was terrified of when I was a kid was aliens, and I was convinced that really? aliens were real. Actually, I quite liked the idea of aliens. Yeah, me too. I, 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 I found them a positive thought, oh, mostly okay. because of the Will Smith, Robbie... Uh, Robbie, Robbie... What was his name? Oh, fuck. The you very famous actor. My, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Where, I don't know where Robbie came from. Tommy Do you remember when Will Smith and Robbie Coltrane did that <laughs> film? <laughs> yeah. I do. What a weird film. Come uh, on, Agent J. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, interesting. I didn't think of them as positive. I thought of them as sinister. Interesting. But I was a kid. You know, I was just scared of a grey's face showing up at my window in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. That would be unpleasant. Mm. You don't want faces on your window. It doesn't matter whose it is. No. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, all the ghost shit was for me when I was a teenager. But I believed in God, so everything was on the well, fucking yeah. table. So at least you didn't have, as I did, this idea. Ah, God, you <clears> fucking <throat> idiots. This obviously isn't true. Yeah. Water into wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's definitely something in this bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a single bed as well. It wasn't like I was had rolling around space. Yeah. There was no physical room for anything to be like lurking without me being aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway uh, listen i hope that was of some interest or entertainment to you yeah if you have deep i'm sure if you're offended by darcy's virulent uh dogmatic atheism or my fundamentalist christian uh personalities this was so easy because we uh fundamentally have exactly the same belief system at the moment i think more or less i think we more or less have the same belief system slight, at the moment but interesting to get to it from different directions yeah well from not just different from opposing directions yeah. really yeah we would have had some 
dumb arguments <laughs> as teenagers, oh. which you would have been more in the right for, I think. Yeah, uh, but right. I feel like that wouldn't have helped because historically it hasn't where these things have been discussed. <laughs> I think we would have just- we probably would have been friends still, I think. Yeah, yeah. Just friends who had occasional- Well, I had these arguments- Party-ruining with- rows. <laughs> yeah. I had these arguments with my leukemia friend. And he ended up- He's the Jordan Peterson guy who is oh, now really? like- Yeah. Who Damn. I've cut contact with, who's always banging on about- I um, can't believe that you turned out to be the good guy at the end of that story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. You never know life. You never know. It's funny how things work out. <laughs> All right. Weakness for bleakness at gmail.com. There's no tricks with the spelling. If you want to get us on email, if you want to get us on Twitter, don't because we don't. It's just a promotional tweet for when the show's been released. But you can absolutely follow it. You can follow it. Updates. Um, Kieran does some quite good tweets, actually, on his personal account, if you can find that. Sometimes I go at Gorilla Scream on Twitter. Sometimes I I go into- I was hoping that they would do a bit more of a treasure hunt, Kieran, but that's all right. I don't think that they- could i don't i don't know maybe you could i don't know but you'll have to also deal with my like getting extremely mad and nude online every now and again <laughs> and completely flying off the handle and then deleting 16 <laughs> tweets in shame i Later. i've cooled down i've simmered down significantly i think i had like a two-year adjustment period to twitter and now i'm like i did a tweet about 18 months ago yeah i wouldn't bother following me <laughs> <laughs> yeah I like I like so much of it as a medium. I hate so much of it as a medium. I can't be trusted with it sometimes, but I well, think I'm much better can, than I used Kieran. to be. It's not a responsible communication tool. Yeah. No, it's dumb. It's the bad website. But you can follow me at Gorilla Scream on Twitter. Uh, Is there anything else that we share or do? I don't think so. I think that's it. All right. Um, I can't promise when the next episode will be out, but don't worry. The mm. show is not over. No. There will be, as there we'll, always is, another episode. Yeah, we'll do a farewell episode or two if we decide to And it, I discovered that we don't have to worry about deleting the show from the internet when we get careers. Why? Because Clarence Thomas used to be in the Black Panthers, and now he's the conservative Supreme Court boss justice. It's fine. Yeah. Pasts don't have consequences. Well, it depends on our relative That's what I of- learned. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's be- it. You can Certainly, just leave it out there. If it's you're fine. powerful, you're untouchable. Yeah, That's, but we're gonna be powerful, aren't we? Role. Yeah, yeah. As a <laughs> Joe, Joe Strummer promised me that mm. if I fucked enough nuns, I would eventually get into the club and it would be fine. <laughs> yeah. He's all he's full of good advice. I Joe. may have taken the wrong lesson, but <laughs> <laughs> there's a chance. <laughs> Alright, fuck it. Let's put a cap on this. Uh, thank you, listener. It's been a pleasure. Farewell. It's a good night from me. And a good afternoon from me. Yeah!